Ah, a new face. Welcome, traveler. Come in, come in. Take a seat. My name is Nico, and welcome to Mastering the Dungeon. The best place to learn how to run Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. Now, running D&D can be intimidating at first, especially with all of the books and rules, but fret not. The more familiar you get with the game, and the more you Dungeon Master, or DM for short, the more you realize you don't need to know everything. Whether it's your first time playing Dungeons and Dragons, or you are a long-time player thinking about running your own game, we are happy you are here. We will be going over everything you need to know to run your own game, and go over practical advice about how to make your game run smoothly. We will not be reading the rules straight out of books, how terribly boring that would be. But rather, we will go through and explain the basics for you to get started with examples. In this episode, we will be talking about what D&D is, how and why you should play it, the role a player and a DM plays in the game, and what you actually need to get started. So, what is D&D? And what makes it different from a board game or a video game? Well, it's hard to explain what D&D is without trying it yourself. I like to say that D&D is a collaborative storytelling game of make-believe that follows set rules. The dungeon master's role is to set the rules and decide on the setting and the plot of the story. But all of the main characters' parts of the story are written by the other people at the table, your players. The DM creates the world and the players live in it. Together, nobody knows exactly what is going to happen, so no two games will ever be the same. DM? Players? What do you mean? Good question. The game is divided into two kinds of people. Players and a DM. There can be any number of players, although I recommend three to five. And there is a single DM. The players create a character, and that character's actions are the only part of the world they can control, while the DM controls everything and everyone else in the world. The DM creates situations for the player to encounter, the players say what their character wants to do. Dice are rolled, and the DM narrates what happens. In Lord of the Rings terms, the players would be the members of the Fellowship, like Frodo, Gandalf, and Legolas, and the DM controls everything and everyone else in Middle-earth, from Sauron in Mordor to the fish that Smeagol smashes against the rocks. The DM gives the players a situation like receiving a magical ring that needs to be destroyed, and the players decide how they want to deal with the situation. Then dice are rolled to determine the outcome, and the DM narrates what happens as a result. Then the process is repeated over and over until your group's story is written. If it sounds like a lot, it's because it can be, but it's also easy to overplan. 
the DM's job is one part planning things for the players and one part improvising after your players find themselves in situations you don't even plan for. I don't really get it. What kind of situations do the players face? Yes, I understand that it's quite confusing, so let's try some real examples. The situations that the DM sets up for the players are generally solved with three pillars of gameplay. Exploration, social interactions, and combat. I will go in depth about how to run the three types in the ability check episode, but for now, we just need to understand the gist of it. Exploration encounters make your world more real, as the players find more details about your world and secrets hidden from view. It can be puzzles, secret passages, hidden treasure, or anything that your players interact with in your world. Social interactions are when the players talk with your characters and deal with the problem with words. This is usually done through trying to persuade, lie to, or intimidate the NPCs you add to the world. Combat, as you can probably guess, is when your players decide to solve their problems by hitting it until it's no longer a problem. D&D 5th Edition has a complex set of rules for combat, and it can be a lot of fun, but don't fall into the trap of overdoing combat. Seven hours straight of combat will leave most players bored out of their minds. While these are the three general ways to solve problems, you'll soon find out that your players will tackle problems in ways you won't expect. For example, let's say your players have tracked a kidnapped prince to the entrance of a dungeon with a large ogre at the entrance. You assume it will end in combat, like this. As your group finally makes it through the trees, the remains of the ancient tomb comes into view. At last, you have found it. Now, you just need to save the prince from the evil wizard. You hear loud footsteps and a cracking sound as a creature much larger than you pushes his way from the entrance, cracking the doorframe. In his hand, he drags a large wooden club with spikes sticking out in every direction, stained with a dark red liquid. You know from experience that this is an ogre. He looks around, squinting his eyes in your direction, then turns, scratching his head. The ogre doesn't seem to have noticed you. What do you do? A bork pulls his war axe and charges the ogre. Ah! This is how a combat situation begins. A monster is presented by the DM and the players attack it. However, part of the fun in D&D is that the problems the players encounter can and will often be solved in ways you don't expect. You might expect your players to attack monsters, but they might also do something like this. He hasn't noticed us yet? Okay. We're going to try and sneak around back. There must be a secret entrance somewhere. Or they might even deal with the problem like this. Huh, it's an ogre, right? I just so happen to speak giant. I'm gonna slick my hair back and walk out with my weapons put away and say to him, Hey there, big guy. Come here often. 
Why don't we change into something a little more comfortable? Now, here is your first piece of advice. You can have expectations of what your player will do, but you need to stay flexible because your players will more often than not surprise you. You create the situations, but your players are the ones who come up with solutions. Reward your players for being creative by playing along. If the players want to sneak around and look for a secret entrance, let them try. If they roll well, maybe even create a secret entrance you hadn't already accounted for. If they want to make sexual advances on an ogre, and they provide reason as to why it could work, such as sharing a language, let them try. Leave it to the dice to decide. We will get into how to make ability checks and how difficult challenges should be in a later episode, but it's a poor DM that deals with unexpected solutions like this. I'm gonna slick my hair back and walk out with my weapons put away and say to him, Hey there, big guy. Come here often. Before you can finish your sentence, the ogre roars in anger and charges, smashing you with his club. Just because a solution seems less likely to succeed doesn't mean they should automatically fail. If there is even a slight chance of it working, let them roll and see what the dice gods say. The players will deal with solutions however they want. They roll, and whether they succeed or fail, the game continues. Just remember, and this one is important, D&D is not the players versus the DM. The DM's job is to challenge the players in a fun way and help them make a good story. And that is the big difference between D&D and other games. There really is no winning or losing to D&D. It's all about the story you and your players make together. If everyone has fun, then that's the closest to winning that you will get. So the players can just do whatever they want? If they want to grow wings and fly into the sun, can they? Well, yes and no. Kind of like the laws of physics in our world, there are many rules in D&D. But the DM chooses which rules to use from the rule books or which rules to make up by themselves as well. Your players can do anything that the DM decides makes sense. The many rule books in D&D act as a guide for how the game can be played, not must be played. The DM chooses how their particular world works. Once the rules are set and the problems present themselves, the players will deal with problems however they want. They roll, and whether they succeed or fail, the DM narrates what happens, and the game continues. There are no quick saves and reloading. No redos, for the most part. And that adds importance to every action. So, if your player finds a way to grow wings and can find a way to fly into the sun that fits the DM's rules and the DM allows it, then yes, your player can grow wings and fly into the sun. Despite what you might think, the game actually becomes more fun when there are set rules for everything and they remain consistent. The clearer the rules are, the more realistic the world feels and the more dramatic it is when players fail or succeed on their dice rolls. 
It'll make more sense once you actually play. Okay, so what do I need to play? There are a lot of books online. If you've done any research on the game, or seen others play it, you know there are a lot of things that you can buy. From the 50-ish official D&D books, to dice and miniatures and terrain pieces and more, there are many things that you can potentially buy to add to your D&D experience. It would be easy to spend north of a thousand dollars on D&D goods, which seems ridiculous for a game that mostly takes place in our collective imaginations. Let's look at what it all is and see what you need to run D&D. Let's start with the books. Out of all of the official books to be released by Wizards of the Coast, there are three core rule books that contain everything you would need to know as a player and DM. Five supplement books that add more content to any campaign. Eight campaign settings that give you locations, characters, lore, and more to play with. Over 15 pre-made campaigns that will give you months of playtime without making your own world. Extra life charity content books, box sets full of pre-written adventures, and other things to play, and even more books on the way. But what do you really need to get started? Honestly, you don't need to buy any of these books. If you want to know the basics of how to play the game, as both a DM and a player, you can find a free PDF online with the basic rules, and even some rules for the DM. Also, you can always Google the rules for things you might be unsure about. How far can your character jump? I don't know. Let's Google it. I do recommend getting at least the player's handbook if you're going to get any of the books. It's similar to the free rules PDF you can find online, but it goes much more in-depth and also includes nine playable races and twelve classes instead of the four races and four classes found in the free PDF. The free rules will be enough to see if you and your friends would be interested in running a full campaign. But if you and your friends are committed, get a copy of the player's handbook as the DM. The other two core rulebooks are the Dungeon Master's Guide and the Monster Manual. The DM's Guide has a plethora of extra rules and things that you can add to your game, but I wouldn't get it unless you've finished the player's handbook. Likewise with the Monster Manual. The Monster Manual has cool lore and tons of monster stats to inspire you. I often just skim through my copy to find new monsters and dream up new scenarios for my players. However, you can find monster stats online for free. The supplement books all add optional things to your game, like more class options, races, and rules that can expand your game. But you can slowly introduce it over time. They can be a lot of fun, but there's nothing wrong with starting the basics until you figure things out. Likewise, with the campaign settings, you can use the campaign setting books as inspiration if you're creating your own world, but you don't need them at the start. Now, most people would recommend starting with one of the many pre-written adventures, because it can be overwhelming creating your own world and adventure. But I think anyone can create their own adventure, and it can be fun, as long as you don't overdo it. However, if you want to start with a pre-written game, and there is nothing wrong with that, 
Wizards of the Coast offers the campaign The Lost Mines of Fandelver online for free. I have played through it, and it was a lot of fun. It's fairly straightforward, with several optional things to do. It's a great starting game for you and your friends. If you are willing to challenge yourself, I think it's much more fun to create your own game. If you take a pre-written game, the main story beats are decided. Your players start in the same spot and will end in a similar situation to all the other people who have played it. Yes, you and your players will probably have accomplished the goals in a different way than other people, and because of that, you will have created a unique story. But I believe in creating the story and developing the world with your players. Even if you do decide to decide your own game, it can be useful to read through the PDF for the Lost Minds, just to see what kind of notes they give the DM. The setting and basic plot of your game is something you should have ready before your first game. If you want to make your own setting and adventure, we will make one in a future episode. Okay, so what else do my players and I need? You mentioned dice? In D&D, there are six types of dice that are used, and there are seven dice in a standard set. The most used die in D&D is the D20, or the 20-sided die. There are numbers ranging from 1 to 20, and this die is used to determine the outcome of an event every single time someone wants to do anything, from shooting a dragon out of the sky to holding down your dinner after having a few too many drinks at the tavern. The players roll this die and then add certain modifiers that represent what the character is good or bad at. We will go into depth about how and when to do these checks in a later episode. But if we look at the earlier example, where the player tried hitting an ogre, a low roll on the d20 would probably result in alerting and angering the ogre, resulting in getting smashed with the ogre's club. While a high roll could potentially convince the ogre to leave his spot for a different kind of smashing. <laughs> The next die is the d12, or the 12-sided die. This one is used less frequently, mainly being used for damage for some hard-hitting weapons and spells, such as the Great Axe. The d10, or the 10-sided die, is also one used mainly for certain weapons and spells, such as a heavy crossbow. But you will probably notice that this die is numbered 0 to 9 instead of 1 to 10. The zero represents a 10 in most cases, but there is another use for this die. In a standard set of dice for D&D, you will notice there are two D10s, with one of them having two zeros on one side and multiples of 10s on the others. When rolled together, they are used to determine a percentage. So for example, a 50 and a zero would mean you rolled a 50, and a 20 and a three would make you guessed it, 23. In this case, rolling double zeros means you rolled 100. There aren't too many uses for the percentile dice, but it's good to know how it works. The next is a d8, or the eight-sided die. This one also is used mainly for figuring out how much your spells or weapons like rapiers hurt when you use it to poke someone. Following that is the d6, or the six-sided die. This one 
is also used for calculating damage on weapons, such as the short sword. But it also is used for a number of other things, such as calculating damage from falling from a high place, which is 1d6 for every 10 feet fallen, and is used in one method of figuring out your character's ability scores. We will go over how to do that in the next episode. The final die is the d4, or the four-sided die. Other than being more painful to step on than a Lego, the d4 is also used for, you guessed it, calculating damage on weapons and spells such as daggers. So, long story short, the d20 is used to figure out if the characters are successful at doing things, and the other dice are mainly used for figuring out how much weapons and spells hurt. There are plenty of other uses, but we will learn them as we go. It's best if every player at the table gets their own set of dice. You can get multiple sets on Amazon for a low price and surprise your players, then slowly fall to the dice addiction and have more dice than you would ever need. Not that I'm speaking from experience, that's preposterous. Anyways, I would also have every player in DM get a notebook to keep notes on the game in. I write down things like how the players interacted with certain NPCs to stay consistent. The players will of course need a character sheet filled out with the character they will be playing. You could use pre-generated characters found online, but your players will be much more invested if they make their own characters. Besides, it's much more fun running a session zero with your players, where you all make your characters together. There is also the option to get the starter set, which includes a simplified version of the rules, the Lost Minds of Fandelva, and pre-made characters, all of which you can download online for free, and a set of six, not seven, dice for less than $15. But I wouldn't recommend it. You're basically getting a set of dice and free content for your money. There is also an essentials kit, which includes a different adventure, more rules, a DM's screen, blank character sheets for you to make your own characters, 11 dice, a poster map, cards for magic items, and more for around $20. I think this is a lot more worth it, but I still recommend just buying the parts you want to buy and making the parts you don't want to spend the money on. Anything else? I've seen people play with 3D maps and miniatures. Do I need those? After that, it's really up to you what you use to play. For your combat scenarios, you might be tempted to get miniatures to represent your characters and monsters and 3D set pieces to build your maps, but you don't need any of it. My first game was played on maps drawn on paper with pencil, and we used coins instead of minis, and it was the best campaign I've ever played in. The fantasy pieces do add to your game, but they don't make your game. I am not artistic, so I usually find maps online and print them out for my players. You can find tons of maps online, free to use. Later, if you want to make or buy 3D map pieces, it can help make your game as immersive as it will be expensive. Some people even do combats, all theatre of the mind, meaning there are no maps and the DM just describes everything. I personally don't do this, unless it is more of a cinematic sequence, 
where the players are taking out the target in a single attack. I recommend using something, anything, for your maps and mini. Once you have dice, the maps, and something to represent the players and monsters in combat, you might want to consider buying a DM screen. A DM screen can come in many different types and has many uses. It is a wall that divides the DM from the normal players, giving the DM an air of authority. It also gives you a place to put your notes, stats for monsters, and a place to roll your dice. All of the players should be rolling their dice out in the open, but the DM has the privilege to roll their dice in secret. We will go over what that means as a DM later, but it mainly allows the DM to build tension as the players don't know what is happening on the other side of the screen. If you use an official one, it can be full of information that is useful but easily forgotten. For example, my DM screen includes a list of actions you can use in combat, a list of conditions your players and monster will experience, such as exhaustion and frightened, a list of possible skill checks, costs for services, food and drink, and so much more. There are so many rules in D&D, and while it isn't on the DM to know every rule perfectly, the better you know the rules, or the faster you can find the information, the better the game flows. I personally use a $15 DM screen with my laptop for notes and looking up information, and a dice tray with about 20 sets of dice. Yes, I need all of them. No, I don't have a problem. <clears throat> Next, while not necessary, is something that I think adds a lot to the game. Music. Ambient fantasy music can really immerse your players and set the mood for role-playing. It can help make it a lot less awkward for first-time role-players. It also can make your descriptions much more dramatic. Slow, peaceful songs can add a sense of wonder to your world. As your party steps past the tree line, finally leaving the forest, the morning sun comes up just above the mountains. You look up, shielding your eyes from the glare, and see it. In the distance, shimmering like diamonds in the sunlight, is the glass city. You have made it to the city of Everbright. Eerie music will leave your players hanging on your every word. You sit with your back against the wall, facing the window, silent. Silent, aside from the sound of the rain on the window and the snores of your party as you take your watch. Boom! You jump at the sound of thunder as light from the lightning fills the room for a second. You begin to feel foolish for being so on edge. After all, you and your party are here alone. You glance out the window for a second when, boom! As light fills the room again, you jump again as a chill runs down your spine. This time, not from the sound of the thunder, but because of the silhouette of a smiling man standing outside of the window.
intense cinematic music can make important fights feel like an action movie. The large red dragon flies down in your direction, claws reaching out. What do you do? As the dragon flies into range, I want to try and shoot the dragon in its wing. Your arrow pierces the red dragon's wing, sending him to the ground with a ground-shaking boom. The dust settles, just in time for you to see the dragon on the ground sucking in air, a flame growing in his throat. But you do need to be a bit careful when matching music to the intensity of the scene. It should be present, but almost unnoticeable. If the music is too dramatic for the scene, it will take your players out of the game. Okay, Bork swings axe at rat. Damn, Bork rolled nine. You swing your axe, but it gets caught on the bookshelf the rat was hiding under. The rat pops out to bite your hand, but it can't seem to pierce your thick skin. If you discover that DJing while DMing D&D 5e devolves into a displeasing distraction, don't distress. Not using music is fine. Playing a generic playlist randomly in the background works too. I made a playlist on YouTube to use and switch between songs to fit the general mood. Okay, so long story short, what do I actually need? In conclusion, I recommend the players each get a set of dice, their own character sheet, preferably made with the DM, which we will go over in the next episode, and a notebook for taking notes. The DM needs to prepare the start of the adventure, have their own set of dice, something to represent a battle map, the players, and monsters in combat. The free rules available online, or the player's handbook if you want, a DM's screen, or something to separate the players and the DM, a setting and plot for the players, which you can find free online or make your own, and I recommend playing some music. If you really don't want to spend money, you can even use a free dice rolling app, use the free rules, draw your maps, and use coins for minis, and use a free adventure. There is nothing wrong with that. Also, remember these main points. Everyone at the table is playing the game together, but the DM has many responsibilities to keep the game running smoothly and at a good pace. It's not something that you will get right the first time, but just remember to keep things going. If you make a big mistake, you can fix it. If you don't like a rule and you want to change it, you can change it. Your players aren't going to do everything exactly as you expect, and that's part of the fun. They choose what their characters do. Talk to your players, see what kind of story they want to tell, then help them tell it. Next episode, we will talk about running a session zero. We will talk about setting expectations about what kind of game you're expecting to run and how to make characters with your players. Until next time, this has been Dungeon Master Nico welcoming you to the dungeon.